And greetings, friends, all around the world. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2013. Brethren, this is my 65th feast. I first kept the Feast of Tabernacles back in 1949. We had it in a great big rustic lodge up in Belknap Spring, Mount, uh, Oregon, out in the Cascade Mountains. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was the only speaker. He spoke 17 sermons in a row, the opening night plus two services a day for eight days. We didn't know much back in then as far as all kinds of technical points. The brethren as a whole were new. So he explained the whole way of God to us, and it was a tremendous occasion, and it really drew us closer to God, to the full knowledge of the truth, and the understanding of what our life was all about. So I've never forgotten that. I hope we can help you in that way during this feast, because this feast pictures what's just ahead, tomorrow's world. Brethren, back then, the way, the end was quite a ways off. But now it's not, and I think most of you realize, and literally millions of people in the world realize that something is terribly wrong. The nations are blowing up all over the world. People are coming apart. Societies are coming apart. Nations are coming apart. And we understand that there has to be a change, a massive change, and it really is coming. The words of the Bible of this book are inspired by the God that gives us life and breath. I hope all of you have proved that to yourselves, but I know that many of you have not, and you need to do it even more thoroughly. And I hope that you'll think and pray about that during this Feast of Tabernacles. I hope all of us can make the Bible real to you, because the big prophecies that Mr. Armstrong gave back then have certainly begun to come to pass. Even before I came to college, as I've told you, he was talking about a coming beast power in Europe. He said Germany would dominate the coming United States of Europe. It would rise again as it did after the Second World War, but it wasn't doing that back then, not in 1949, but it has been now. All these major things he talks about a little bit later and way before it happened about the Eastern European nations breaking free from the Soviets. He talked about the Berlin Wall coming down. In specific terms, it did come down. He talked about, again, Germany rising up, and it is now the most powerful nation in Europe, as all of you know. He talked about the fact that God would take away the British Empire. And he said, if you British people don't repent and get back to the ways of God and the laws of God, God will take your empire away. And I heard him say that, and it began to happen soon after that. He said, the sea gates are going to be taken away. And about a year and a half later, my wife and I were sent to Britain. Right at the time, the sea gates began to be taken away. And Britain gave up the Suez Canal. And, of course, the other sea gates have all been taken away, except two, Gibraltar and the Falkland Islands, and they're both in danger, as most of you know. These are big, major events affecting hundreds of millions of people and billions and billions of dollars of world trade and commerce that passes through these major sea gates. God is real. The Word of God is real. The Word of God is true. There is going to be an intervention by our Creator who gives us life and breath, and His government will be, be soon set up on this earth. And we have the opportunity to prepare to be those kings and priests spoken of throughout the Bible. So let's understand that and be inspired that we can help straighten out this world, that we can come help humanity. Humanity needs help now, and brethren, as they turn further away from God and the whole family breaks down because of this whole emphasis on same-sex marriage, 
First, there's going to be homosexual marriage between a man and a man. Then they're going to have group marriages. Then they're going to have all kinds of things. Those things are coming. This world is getting away from God in every possible way. Satan is winning the battle at this point. God is allowing this. But soon the great battle in heaven will take place and he will be cast down for the last time. There will be horrifying things happen before the end. And we understand that. Many of our brethren will die of sickness, of disease, of other things. We must be ready. We must have faith and courage to carry on and put our faith and trust in the very God who's guiding these events and who will bring his kingdom. Because our desire is not to live on in this physical life, but to be in the coming kingdom of God, the family of God forever. Brethren, we should genuinely be trying to get ready. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Familiar passages, but we need to review these. Many hundreds of you are new to the church of God. Welcome, you new brethren. Understand, prove these things yourselves. And brethren and new brethren, I hope all of you will go back and get the booklet if you don't have it and review the booklet, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. It proves all the details of why we ought to keep these festivals, the very many of these festivals, all seven of God's holy days. The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. Get that booklet, review it, and study it. We won't try to spend time giving you every detail of that booklet in this festival, but we'll give you some of the highlights. Understand, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the New Testament Christians. This is not Old Testament stuff. This is New Testament stuff. Dare any of you having a matter against another to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? As I've told you, how dare you, God says, go down the street to a worldly judge who doesn't even know God's purpose, who doesn't even know God's laws, and have him judge a dispute in the church that you have with another brother. We are being trained right now if we really study God's laws, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's judgments, and go right back through these principles in the Old Testament and know how they're magnified and applied in the New Testament and then understand the mind of God so we will know how to rule and how to teach and how to train and help God's people and judge God's people, yes, and rule them in righteousness in tomorrow's world under Christ's overall direction. I know we don't know how to do that perfectly, but we better be learning and we better be truly submissive so we can do it under Christ's direction. So he said, how dare you go to law before the unjust? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's our calling, brethren. That's our assignment, so to speak. A lot of you young people, you've had high school and college. You get assignments. Our assignment now, my brethren, is prepared to be those kings and priests spoken of right here in this book, the Bible. The saints will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? We're going to even judge the angelic hosts. We will be full members of the family of God, full sons of God, glorified spirit beings. And if our attitude is really right and submissive to God's way and God's law and God's judgment and God's rule, and we let God rule our lives now, and we let Christ live his life within us now, then he'll give us the extra knowledge. He'll give us the extra insight and discernment and the wisdom to be righteous judgments, righteous judges, I should say. 
we shall judge angels. God's word says that. How much more things that pertain to this life. So we ought to prepare to do that. To rule and learn to judge even in the church as God indicates here. If then you have judgments of things concerning this life, do you appoint those, or as many translated, because it's obviously saying that, why do you appoint those who are least sustained by the church to judge? Why would you go to outsiders to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, you in the church, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? So, brethren, we need to be prepared. We need to keep our way on the mind of God. We need to keep our mind on the purpose of God. And we need to prepare to be those kings and priests and really study this book as a manual to prepare us to judge, to prepare us to rule this earth, to prepare us to help humanity who's beginning to destroy itself, nation after nation fighting each other, all these different sects of the Islamists and other groups around the world fighting each other, butchering each other. Whenever you open newspapers going on, 12 people, 26 people, 39 people being blown up here and there all over the Middle East. Why? They don't know God and they're butchering each other. The massive starvation all through Africa and parts of Asia and so on. It's getting worse and it's going to get much worse before it gets better. Massive disease epidemics beginning to occur. They're going to occur, brethren, and some of our people will be killed. Some of our people will die. God doesn't say everyone will live all the way through these things. God is working with us. He's teaching us all lessons for all eternity. And we need to be truly humble and trying to learn those lessons to let Christ rule our lives now, to be part of the very work that Christ is doing, to be ready to do His will at any time in any way we can. Say, yes, Lord, Thy will be done and not mine. We'd better really learn that attitude in these years ahead. We're going to be tried and tested way beyond what we've ever been tried and tested before. So we do need to understand, and I hope all of you will. But brethren, we are truly pioneers, and we need to realize that in keeping these festivals. Turn back to Zechariah now, if you would. I always like to start off with this scripture. As you older brethren know, Zechariah chapter 14 Open your Bibles, Zechariah 14. This happens to be the one place of the Bible that makes it terribly plain, exceedingly clear that we are to keep God's festivals because the whole world will soon be keeping this Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone on earth, every human being will be keeping it. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, the time of God's intervention and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. That's going to happen. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. Half of that great city, we can see it already being prepared because about half are Jewish and half are Arab already. It's already beginning to happen. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off. Then the eternal... Yahweh, the ever-living one, shall go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. The final battle of earth's history is about ready to take place. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ is coming back to this earth, back to a literal piece of ground where I've stood two or three times, and some of you older brethren have been there and visited the Mount of Olives. Yes, this is real. He's coming to this earth. He's coming in the lifetimes of most of you. 
and you need to get ready. Take it seriously, brethren. We have an opportunity. He says down here in verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one in His name, one, one God, one religion, one truth, and the whole world will be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and obviously all of God's festivals, the seven festivals that God commanded His people that picture the whole plan of God. And as I've explained so many times, no church on earth understands God's law. They may be nice people, yes. Some of them are very good social workers. They do good here and there. But they don't know God's purpose. They don't know God's plan unless they keep and understand and keep these festivals of God because these festivals picture God's plan. Verse 16, God says, It shall come to pass then at that time that everyone who is left of all these nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep, not to watch the Jews keep, no, they themselves shall go up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, every single one of them. And it shall come to pass that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain, total drought, no rain whatever. And if the family of Egypt will still not come up, he's put, I'm putting the still in there, but that's what it implies. They're stubborn. We're not going to keep this Jewish feast. The Protestants and Catholics and the world people of this world's religions, they don't understand God. They don't understand this book at all. They talk about sweet Jesus, but they don't understand His way. They don't understand His law. They don't understand His purpose. So they're Jewish feasts. No, they're not Jewish feasts. They're feasts of God. And if even the nation of Egypt, which is Arab, does not come up to keep to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. They, if they come up, they will have no rain, and they shall receive the plague, which with the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. He's going to strike all the nations with that. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations, it says, that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We are pioneers, my brethren. We now have the opportunity to worship together, to hear sermon after sermon talking about the coming world tomorrow, talking about God's government on this earth, the laws of God, the statutes of God, the way of God, and to feast on God's Word for eight days with other brethren of like belief, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to worship together, to learn together, to prepare to be those kings and priests in this coming festival and this coming reign of God on the earth. So let's understand, we're picturing that time. And we do need to picture in our own minds sometimes to help us understand that glorious time, my brethren, when Christ will be on this earth and whole nations and whole glorious processions of thousands and hundreds of thousands of human beings will be marching up the hill. It always says in the brief of Acts, read about it, they went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill up above Tel Aviv further east and higher ground, not way up like the California mountains or the Sierras or whatever, but still up. They'll go up to Jerusalem and marching up those highways around Jerusalem, whole processions, choirs, bands, orchestras, singing groups of all kinds to worship the Creator who is there in person. They'll have beautiful marches, beautiful music, beautiful banners, colored lights, 
God's not against colored lights. They have colored lights at Christmas and other celebrations around the world. God's not against that. There are going to be many colored lights and beautiful music of all sorts because they'll learn the right use of that. They won't be worshipped with little Lord Jesus away in a manger that's a contrary Christ that doesn't keep God's law. They'll be worshipping him, he whom God created, used to create the earth. All things were created by Jesus Christ. They're going to worship their creator, and their creator will be on this earth in per- purpose, in person. So they'll be worshipping him, singing, playing, rejoicing, dancing, laughing, playing, there will be peace over the entire earth. And there won't be men marrying women. Men. There will be men marrying beautiful women. And beautiful children will be prolific all over the earth as God brings forth the joy and the peace that he intended mankind to have. And there will be a family life that both people will have. Their relatives will live close by. And they won't have to go clear across half the world to visit them as so many people do today. There will be extended family groups and a sense of joy a sense of security, a sense of peace that these people whose empty faces you see in Africa where the man has been butchered and the woman's trying to hold the children together all through Africa, the Middle East, Asia, elsewhere, that won't be anymore. We're going to help humanity. You and I can help humanity learn the right way of life under the guidance of Christ. And we will have the power of God. He's coming back to rule the world with a rod of iron. As I've said, I didn't used to realize why that rod of iron would be necessary. I thought, well, that's a little hard. No. When you think of these terrible dictators like Hitler and Mussolini and the more modern ones, Mao Zedong and Mubarak and these Middle Eastern dictators, they will have hard heads and they're going to have to have an even harder head, a God of total power, crush them, stop them right in their tracks and bring about peace, a peace that women and men will cry for joy when they begin to experience it. A genuine peace, an inner peace of mind, a lasting peace that humanity has never known. They're going to have tears of joy when they have that begin to happen and they sense that their creator is here and he will first of all rule with a rod of iron. But then later, through Christ directly and through you and me, he'll be say, come learn God's ways. We're here to help. We really are here to help. We're going to help, to encourage, to build, to teach, to bless, to heal, to encourage and inspire people to walk God's ways and to have wonderful lives, wonderful families, wonderful children, and wonderful peace and joy throughout all the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. We are preparing for that now. God help us to know how real that is. So we need to picture that wonderful time of people coming up to worship Christ in a glorious celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles and preparing to be, we need to be preparing to be those kings and priests that God talks about. Let's go back to, if you would at this point, to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and a very familiar verse, verse 26. God says here, and he's speaking, Christ is speaking in the first person, and he who overcomes and keeps my works, Christ's example, his teachings, his ways until the end. To him, I, Christ, the living Christ, will give power over the nations, plural, all the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the potter's vessel shall be broken in pieces, as I also, as Christ also received, he said, from my Father. 
We're all going to be given that power. We have that opportunity. We have that challenge. God help us to grasp it. In chapter 5, Revelation 5, he talks about the prayers of the saints and the song of the saints. And he says here in verse 9, they sang a new song. The saints did sing. Revelation 5 and verse 9, follow me in your Bible. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, Christ was slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. We're saved from our past sins, our wretchedness, our selfishness and vanity, our lust and our greed, by the blood of Jesus Christ, where God came into the flesh to die for us, to pay for our sins and reconcile us to God. And we should be very thankful for that, very thankful for the sacrifice of Christ, very thankful that Christ is now our high priest in heaven, that we talk to God the Father through him as our high priest, and that our coming king and ruler, Christ is the very center of the message of the kingdom of God. He is our Savior. He is our King. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests. God has made us that. He's done it in advance. No one can stop it. Only you can stop it if you turn away. Then you won't have your part in it, but it will happen just the same. No one can stop it. This is God's plan. He's made in advance His true saints to be kings and priests, and we shall reign. We shall rule on this earth, not up in heaven, but right here, my brethren. This is where the problems are. This is where people are starving. This is where people are hurting. This is where people are getting sick. This is where people are being beaten up and raped and humiliated all over this earth, and it's going to stop, and we will help stop it. We will help stop it. And we will say, we love you. It's okay. We're here to give, to help, to serve you, people. And we'll do that. And people will have tears of joy, finally, when we come help humanity as the servants of the living God, helping Christ rule and teach and bless this whole world. Turn back to Jeremiah, if you would, at this point, brethren. Jeremiah, and notice in chapter 30, We've often covered this, how it talks about the great time of Jacob's trouble. Revelation 30, Revelation 30 and verse 7, and how David the king will be raised up finally to come back and be the king. But it says in verse 23, after telling about that terrible time of the tribulation, Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord shall go forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he's done it. God is going to intervene. He's going to have to shake this world as it's never been shaken. These hard heads will finally repent. They will be awakened or they will cease to exist. God will intervene until he's performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, and most of your brethren, I hope, understand, we certainly are in the latter days. You will consider it. 31 goes right on, chapter 31. Remember, men divided these books into chapters. God didn't. Men did later. At the same time, says the ever-living one, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Eternal, the people who survived the sword and this coming great tribulation found grace in the wilderness, for Israel goes into slavery, into captivity. Israel, when I went to give him rest. And then let's pick up the story in verse 7. Thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob. And remember, Israel is a type of all the world. All the world's going to have these same blessings, but Israel is the first and the foremost because God starts there. 
but he's going to give all the nations this blessing. He's not a respecter of persons. So all of you will have these blessings if you give your life to God. Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout for the chief among the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O eternal, save your people. People are going to cry out that finally. Save your people, the remnant of Israel, when our people have gone to this coming captivity, this coming national slavery. Behold, I will bring them from the north country. I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Our neighbors and brethren out here, our relatives who don't believe God, won't obey God. Sorrowfully, thousands of them, millions of them, will be herded into concentration camps and in places of, breath, in places of slavery. God says that many times in this book. You know that. They're finally going to come back. God's going to gather them from the ends of the earth, among them the blind and the lame. Many will have been beaten up and hurt. I remember when Dick Armstrong and I were in Europe together in 1954, even nine years after the Second World War, I saw more men with one eye put out, ears cut off, arms and legs missing than I'd ever seen in all the rest of my life put together. A horrible time. But can you picture the time that's going to be 10 times or 50 times worse? The coming great tribulation, people all over the earth with missing arms and legs and eyes and ears and noses missing. And they're going to come back weeping and repenting. Among them, the blind and the lame and the woman with child the one, and the one who labors with child together, a great throng, throng shall return. They shall come with weeping. They're going to be so sorry they haven't obeyed God. Tens of millions, hopefully hundreds, will have heard this work. They will have heard God's message, but they have not obeyed. They're going to come back wishing they'd listen. And I hope all of you will listen and get into your minds and hearts and know this is real. We have this opportunity. They're going to come with weeping and supplications. I'll lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Was Ephraim the firstborn of Israel? No. It wasn't. Remember, Reuben was God's firstborn or Jacob's firstborn, but he turned away and God took that blessing that should have been his, the blessing of the birthright, and he gave it to the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And now that the British Empire and the United States of America and Ephraim is often used as a symbol for both the whole house of Joseph. Here are the words of the, of the Lord, O nations, declared in the isles and far off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him. He's going to bring our people back and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He's going to reach out and bring back our friends, our relatives, our loved ones, people all through our nations who often these concentration camps, these terrible places. He's going to bring them back. He's ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore, when they come back, our loved ones and others we've known they shall sing. They're going to be so grateful. They'll sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and wine. He's going to give them food and drink in, in abundance once again. For the young of the flock and herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. No more sorrow at all. May God speed that day. You and I are going to help bring about a time of no more sorrow at all. Help us realize that. If we have God's law in our heart and mind and really try to drink into this book and feed on it and have Christ living in us and learn to genuinely love and worship and adore the God that gives us life and breath, 
and want him living in us through his spirit and love our human beings, all fellow human beings, lay down our lives for them, serve one another, give to one another, forgive one another, help one another, the whole world will be filled with a type of joy and peace that we have never experienced. And we need to prepare for that and want to be part of that more than anything. We ought to want that kingdom of God to come so bad we can taste it. I know it's not that real to many. It needs to be real. We all need to feed on this book continually and make it real to us so we can help and give and serve in that way. Turn with me now, if you would, to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, brethren, and this is a psalm picturing that very time, as many of you know, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 72. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness. Yes, Christ is coming back, and he will be fair. He will be fair to the entire world, to every human being, both old and young, male and female, Jew and Gentile, to every human being. He will rule the world with righteousness, and your poor, the poor people, need help. People are starving right now. Hundreds of millions of them, brethren, are near starvation. You know that. Read the papers. Right now, they need God's kingdom. They need God's mercy. They need God's help. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy, and he will break in pieces the oppressor. So Christ is going to come as King of kings, the Lord of lords, to rule with power. And he has the power. Believe me, he has the power. And he will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure. Think about that. It's all right to get sentimental about that. They will learn to have the awe of God. Finally, the real God, the creator, the God who inspired this book. And you and I need to feed on this book, study this book, drink into this book, and make it part of the way we think and the way we act all day long. They shall fear you. They'll have that awe of God as long as the sun and moon endure. Throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Tremendous blessings. In his days, the righteous shall flourish. We're not going to be oppressed anymore. Brethren, there are terrible times coming in the next several years. They may start in the next several months as we get stronger and stronger in this work, helping prepare for God's kingdom. We need to realize that. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to have terrible persecution. Don't let that shake you. Don't give up and quit. Have faith and courage. These things are real. Your creator is about to intervene. Help God help you to understand. So in his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. He's going to rule the entire world. Nothing shall escape his purview. And from the river, of course, he means in this case, the river of, of uh, uh, Euphrates to the ends of the earth. So it's got, in those times, they talked about all the way from the Euphrates to the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, but this is the whole earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. All the great kings and rulers of that time will begin to be converted. They'll fear the great presence of Jesus Christ, the real Christ of the Bible. 
they'll get rid of their anti-Jewish presence because the one who was a Jew, the greatest Jew in human history by far, God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, is now king of kings ruling from Jerusalem. And he has emissaries, you and me, and thousands and tens of thousands of others going around the world helping teach people in the nations, in the cities, in the little villages, everywhere, the way of God. And they're going to begin to understand that they'll be grateful for the abundance of peace, the abundance of prosperity and blessings that they've never had. So they're all going to bow down and serve Christ. All nations shall serve him, for he will deliver the needy when he cries. That's Christ's attitude. Let that be your attitude. Let that be my attitude. Let's help the poor. Let's help the needy. Let's cry out, brethren, more than ever that God begins to heal his own people. But we've got to have faith. Even when Jesus came back to Nazareth, his own city, it says he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Read that in Mark 6 and the other account in Matthew, and you'll see that even Christ, the Son of God, could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. God will not bless us. He will not give us as many healings and blessings if we as a church do not develop a profound faith that this word is inspired, that God is real, that God will keep his promises. We've got to build an attitude, an atmosphere of faith and put our trust in God and walk with God profoundly more than most of us are doing. Let's wake up. Let's use this feast to get closer to the Creator God and prepare for the job we've got to do. And so he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor, and him who has no helper. People are cut off. They're helpless all over the world today. You see the emptiness in the faces of these women with little children whose husbands have forsaken them or whose husbands have been butchered and murdered in these various sectarian wars that go on. They're helpless. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. Every human being Every one of you elderly people there, God is, is looking down on you. Your blood is precious in his sight. You people who are Gentiles, your people who are sick or crippled, your blood is precious in God's sight. If you walk with him, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He shall live and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Christ will be here and they'll finally understand who he is. Worship him the very creator who created the heavens of the earth, who gives them life and breath, he will be here on this earth. Some will go up at Jerusalem and see him in person. Prayer shall also be made continually for him, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, plenty of food everywhere for every human being. On the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. The name, his name, will endure forever. The name, the authority, the power, the magnificence of everything Christ stands for will endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. He only does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. It soon will be, brethren, in tomorrow's world. 
and we ourselves are repairing the way. Let the whole earth, every human being is going to experience it. Every human being is going to keep this coming Feast of Tabernacles in tomorrow's world. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Brethren, let's have a wonderful feast. Love each other. Pray for each other. Get down on your knees tonight and thank God that you're alive for life and breath and the privilege of being called now so you can help in this work prepare for Christ's kingdom so you can help in your own life set an example so you can study this book and really study it make it part of your very thoughts and your mind processes and walk with God and have Christ live in you and truly prepare to serve others to come help humanity and to rule under Christ in tomorrow's world have a good night's sleep and prepare for sermons tomorrow open your minds and hearts get out your Bible drink in of it feed on this book and worship your creator and learn and prepare in a genuine way to be the kings and priests to help to build to teach and to serve human beings all over this earth that is our calling that is our opportunity that is our blessing thank you brethren thank you for being here thank you for your prayers your loyalty thank you for all the love you've shown me and my wife and all of us at headquarters we thank you but blessed be you as you walk with God. And I ask God to help us, bless us, give us his peace and his protection and guidance in this wonderful Feast of Tabernacles. Go home, drive safely, get a good rest, and come back tomorrow and prepare to worship your Creator and to walk with him. Amen. <laughs>